Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Hey, everybody. It's great to be back on the Pharmacy Fika podcast. This is Epidose, I think, number 22 I have lost track. We've done so many episodes. Since our last episode, one of our team members has actually moved. So Tina Brock is now in Melbourne, Australia. She's got a new position there, which hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about it because it's related to today's topic. We usually have a little chat about our snack choices before we get into the topic. But before we do that, I wanted Tina to introduce our guest and tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, as you said, I have changed jobs. I've moved to Melbourne, Australia, and I'm working at the University of Melbourne, but in the Faculty of Medicine, Dentistry, and Health Sciences. So University of Melbourne does not have a pharmacy program, but that just means I'm free to collaborate with pharmacy programs worldwide. And collaborative practice and interprofessional education is a real passion of mine that's grown over the course of my career. And I'm delighted to have invited today one of the team members in interprofessional education and collaborative practice, Dr. Lindsay Yates. Lindsay is an associate professor at the School of Dental Medicine at the University of Colorado and an assistant director of the IPE center there. But even better, she's a practicing dentist as well as an educator. She was my first IPE partner at Colorado, and she's actually my dentist. No HIPAA problems here. I am telling you, she is my dentist. So she's not only a great educator, she's a great dentist. So Lindsay, welcome to the, to the team today. Well, thank you so much, Tina. I, I really appreciate the invitation. I'm just really excited to be here. Well, as you know, we start off, this is our little break and little chat. So we talk a little bit about our snack and our beverage choice. What did you bring for us today, Lindsay? You know, I I do drink a lot of water, but today I brought something a little more exciting. It is Dram, which is a, a seltzer water, and it's cardamom and black tea and lemon. And it's local to Colorado, so I thought that would be an appropriate choice. And a very seasonal pumpkin and cranberry cracker. So it's autumn. Thought that was an appropriate choice. Excellent. You have really gotten into the spirit. And it's, it's autumn for you guys, and now it's spring for me. So I'm going to have two summers this year. I have some Obama or Jeff Kane almonds, portion control, of course, and uh, some sparkling water as well, because I, I, I was a little bit nervous about drinking anything other than water in front of my dentist. <laughs> Noted. Noted. It's going in your jar, yeah. <laughs> What about you, KJ? Well, I've got some water as well with a little hint of flavor in, and I have an unreal chocolate bar, just a little tiny two-bite dark chocolate with some coconut. That was just perfect because it's right before dinner for me. Well, I love it. KJ always brings the dark chocolate, so I'm on intermittent fasting. I just got back from 
a vacation in France and gained about 12 pounds. And so I've decided I have to cut out eating for a good portion of time. So I am just drinking a, a Waterloo orange vanilla sparkling water. And that's mm. it until I eat dinner. I just, because we're recording this at different times, I just finished dinner like 10 minutes ago. So I don't have much, but I did have at the bottom of my rice bag for my last adventure. And I still have six honey cinnamon almonds. Six. And I've got eight. So, okay. <laughs> well, let's take a little pause and enjoy our snacks and our beverage and a little bit of fellowship. So today we're talking about interprofessional education and collaborative practice. And I thought I'd start by asking Lindsay why she thinks IPE is important and how did she get involved? Well, sure. I think IPE downstream, it's all about the patient outcomes, improved health outcomes, improved patient experience, reducing errors in healthcare, right? But it's all those smaller steps in between to get there, increased communication, increased collaboration between the health professions, culture of safety, all that mutual respect, all that good stuff, the teamwork. And everyone really having a clear understanding of what their their roles and responsibilities are, their own and everyone else's. And I really got my start in interprofessional education and practice pretty much by accident. My first full-time job, I was coming out of a two-year residency and I was in this large multidisciplinary not-for-profit health center in Chicago. And it was this enormous building, beautiful Art Deco style, nearly 100 years old. And the clinic there was, was longstanding. And I walked in, the fairly new dentist, first full-time dentist they ever had, and I was tasked with leading the department and modernizing it and all that. And I was struck that as I walked into this building with multiple floors and departments and specialties, that no one was really talking to each other. And, and so all these professions, medicine, pharmacy, dental, and physical therapy, podiatry, counseling, all the subspecialties, they were co-located, but not really collaborating. So... I started collaborating little by little with more items and, and more people. And, and I got to know the pharmacist really well. I got to know one of the family medicine docs really well, too. And I'll never forget that both of them said to me independently at different times, wow, thank you for talking with us and working with us for the, the good of our mutual patients. It's just not something a lot of providers do. And that's what they both said to me. And, and that experience always stuck with me. And it's grown with me as I've grown in my career. And when I entered academia, it was a natural fit for me to lead the dental school's interprofessional curriculum and, and be part of that campus-wide council, which is where I met Tina. What a great story. I think that transition from co-location, which quite frankly, most of my training was not even co-located with any other health professionals until the very, very end. And I can remember not really even knowing what an occupational therapist was. There were all these fields that I saw at the very end of my training that I was like, wow, I didn't know anything about this. Does anybody else have a have an interprofessional win that they want to share, either from practice or the educational standpoint? Well, I will say my favorite interprofessional experience here at Ole Miss is we have this thing called Dental Mission Week where uh, patients from the Jackson area come in and they receive free care. And obviously, these are people who don't have access to uh, good dental care. So often the problems they face uh, are pretty significant. There's a lot of extractions involved in Dental Mission Week. But the dental school invited the school of pharmacy to participate and um, do all the medications and medication setups. 
and we do all the screening for drug interactions. And it's, it's been a really terrific experience with the students to recognize that a lot of the dentists, and particularly those who are in training, really don't know a lot about medications. And so it's really been eye-opening to the students that people who are prescribing don't necessarily know about all the other medications that are out there. They, they tend to know the medications that they prescribe and deal with. And so that's one that I really like doing because I feel like we're having a real impact. And also, it opens up our students' eyes to the kinds of problems that patients face and how it impacts their health that are beyond just the typical things that we see in other practices. But I, I will say my experience as a practitioner has always been in a, in a collaborative interprofessional environment because my practice was related to diabetes management. And so we always, it's, it's a very collaborative environment with uh, dietitians and podiatrists and pharmacists and endocrinologists and social work and other practitioners. And I, I always loved working in that environment because I felt like I could, I could contribute in significant ways, but I learned so much from all the other people that I worked with. I'm so glad that you mentioned about the patients and the medications. So many times our patients think that we know what medications are on because they think we are in the same health record and we don't even share that. So it's, it's so important to be talking these things through because we don't have access to that very often and they don't know that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, absolutely. I think if we wrote these words down as a case study on the care side, it absolutely makes sense. I think the patients probably assume we are more connected and collaborative than we are or that our systems allow us to be easily. And so if we bring that back into our training programs, anyone have a a great story for something that they've done maybe in the classrooms or in the preclinical spaces interprofessionally? Well, I have a dental one example as well. Lots of dental examples today. Yay. One of the first things we did when I was at Dalhousie University in the College of Pharmacy there was participate in the dental treatment planning clinic. Mm-hmm. So we had pharmacy students over in the treatment planning clinic. And so it was basically like one-on-one dental student and pharmacy student helping them interpret the medication record as patients were doing intake. It was a fabulous opportunity. It was a small knit group. We could prepare the students for the kinds of things that they were going to see. They could go down and and it was two steps away and they could uh, participate right from the get-go. So it was a great opportunity. I was sort of looking around thinking, well, we're all at academic medical center campuses. So we have it. It's not easy, but we have sort of ready access to other health providers. And that's not the case in every you know health profession. And to have even co-location. Maybe I'll shift a little bit. How do you think the accreditation process influences interprofessional education and collaborative practice? You know, they tell us, put it in the standards. If you want people to do it, you have to put it in the standards. You have to have a stick or they won't do it. So, well, the standards are actually changing. IPEC core competencies. The four main competencies are, are still the same values and ethics, roles, responsibilities, communication, teamwork, but some of those sub-competencies and that language in there is changing a little bit. But it's really our accrediting body standards that have the real teeth, no pun intended, (laughs) in terms of what we teach and how we assess our students and things like that. So they serve as a guide, but they're not certainly the end-all be-all. And I will say that I I think our accreditation standards force us to do things that we may not have done 
left to our own devices because it can be, as you all know, it can be very logistically challenging to take programs that are on their own schedules, their own course loads and students at different levels and get them all in one place. We are fortunate, very fortunate that we have a center and it's recently renamed Center for Interprofessional and Community Health Education that's supported by the provost. That is a centralized unit that helps with those efforts. Without that, I don't know how we get pharmacy, medicine, law, social work, physical therapy, everybody in, ingrained at the same time. And even with that, we still struggle in having students learning together across the curriculum across all four years. We have really strong points here and here and here, but maybe some gaps because it just can't fit for us or for medicine or for nursing or for dentistry or for someone else. I think the timing and the scheduling is always the, the trickiest piece, right? And, and for us at, at Colorado, we have 750 learners, give or, give or take, and we do have two big classes that go on in the classroom and then some simulation and some clinical activities as well. But we know that not everyone's going to do everything at the same time, like it's logistically not possible. So there are some of the major touch points and then sort of the other um, pieces kind of fit in where, where they make the most sense. I'm curious, though, I, I, I do understand that within the required curriculums, it's very difficult to align students up in scheduled times, particularly multiple disciplines. You can probably get nursing and pharmacy together or nursing and medicine together, but trying to get multiple disciplines all learning at the same time in the same experiences uh, is really challenging until you get to the practice space. But even there, uh, it can be challenging to make sure all the disciplines are interacting with each other in meaningful ways. But I'm wondering what some institutions are doing around use of elective experiences are electives, which could be very useful to nursing and medicine. They just don't want to play ball. And I don't know if they've had some successes at other universities of creating electives that all health professionals could participate in. And that creates another opportunity for some interprofessional engagement, but it just doesn't happen very often, at least not here. One place that I saw do that very well was at UCSF when I was there. They really prized these student-led electives. So groups of students will get together and say, for example, we want to have an elective about naloxone administration. And so it might be like a all-day Saturday or two Saturdays kind of thing, but they typically would have to include at least two professions. It might not include every profession. But I, I found those to be, because one, they're tapping into the students' interests and passions anyway. Two, they're mostly new things, not existing things. So if you're creating them, co-creating both with students and with clinicians, as well as students from multiple professions, I think is pretty powerful. In Colorado, it was a little dip more difficult because of how the university is funded. It had to do with how the money flowed. And you kind of had to work beneath the radar. Like if you said, we want to have this dental pharmacy elective, the bursar's worried about how the money flows. And I'm like, well, maybe when you're talking about 750 students or 1400 students, so I'm dealing with now, that makes a big difference. But when you're talking about 12, that's budget dust. And so you have to create complexity like, okay, 
medicine will call the planetary health elective this, pharmacy will call it this, it has a different number. And if you think about an electronic health record, not being able to share, not being able to share the same sort of registration (laughs) processes, et cetera, is sort of the educational equivalent of that. So I think there are workarounds, but I absolutely love the idea of tapping into elective and selective spaces and co-creating I mean, I think there's just opportunities here that if the right incentives were created, I I think it all does come back to these financial issues. But if faculty were incentivized to come together to create electives, which were useful to multiple disciplines, they would happen a lot more. But yeah, we tend to get into these, these turf areas because of the finances of it all that really preclude people wanting to play in the sandbox together. You always say students pay their tuition and fees. That shouldn't preclude them from coming to a university and being able to take full advantage of everything the university has to offer. So I'm hoping that as systems change, it makes it a little bit easier because I think it's a lot to ask faculty to jump through extra hoops just to do the right thing. We, we actually had a, an opportunity with a Spanish elective, an interprofessional Spanish elective, because that's so useful to all the professions. And, and actually, these barriers actually prevent us from getting it off the ground. Yeah. Um, even though standalone Spanish courses has had existed, it was just that the coordination, timing, funding, all of that just made it too complex to pull off, unfortunately. So, you know, maybe we can revisit that sometime. That's a great example, Lindsay, because it ended up, it was actually even the same instructor who's teaching. And the instructor was like, I'd absolutely prefer to do this. So one thing, Stuart, maybe you could help us with this. I know in the um, CPDCE space, there's been an ongoing movement at looking at joint accreditation of continuing professional development. I don't know whether the the CE folks think that has been wildly successful, mildly successful, or hasn't really caught on. But I found sometimes when I talk to people about it, even awareness of it is a little bit low. Anything you'd like to share there? Yeah, I I would say it's been mildly successful. There are some programs that are jointly accredited to offer continuing education to multiple disciplines through the joint accreditation process. It's not many, but it's not like it's only two in the country either. It's it's a number of them. Again, there's some barriers to it. It's more challenging to get accredited in this multi-accreditation process because there are additional rules that you got to follow that's going to satisfy all of these different disciplines. When you're planning programming, you've got to have all the right stakeholders at the planning process. And also when you're implementing a program, you're delivering the program, it's got to be interprofessional too. And if it's only a one-hour program, that's really challenging to do. And so it works, I think, for day-long workshops or for a conference where you have multiple opportunities to interact and engage. But for a simple one-hour webinar, it, it really doesn't work all that well. And you end up defaulting to a single discipline that you're trying to target, which is unfortunate because I I think to say that you have to learn from like, from like, why couldn't nurses and physicians come to a program that I offer? And why couldn't I go to a program that Lindsay offers? 
I will say we dipped our toe into the space a little bit over the past year doing one-hour webinars with two professions. And it was seven things. So each profession presented seven things that they wanted the other profession to know when they were treating mutual patients. And 50 minutes, just it wasn't quite enough time, but it was generally successful. But we, we didn't know about the joint accreditation at the time. So we, we approached it as two different individual professions accrediting. So it would have been smarter to do the, the joint accreditation for that. So I wanted to speak to our program at the University of Minnesota called the WILD program. And it stands for Workplace Interprofessional Learning and Development, WILD. And I think what they've done there is really experimented with format because like we're saying, it's so hard to get together. So what can we do apart and what can we do together? So in this program, the participants that are all preceptors of students in various health professions receive an email that has a three to five minute video that talks about behaviors that they can go out and try and directs people to further resources. And then at the end of the week, after you've had a chance to like work on these things, you come together for a more limited amount of time, but together interprofessionally to debrief and learn from and with one another. So I think maybe we need to get a little bit more flexible. You know, not everything is going to be able to be about these large groups of people in these gigantic rooms all at the same time. How can we experiment with format a little bit? And and do you know if they're doing those within the work environment? Because that's the other place where it should naturally happen. We tend to think of CE as you leave the work environment and go learn something someplace else. But I'm really a proponent of doing learning within the work environment with the people that you work with and awarding you continuing education credit there. And we just have not done a lot of that. I think that's another way to think about continuing education is do it in smaller groups that are interprofessional and just offer it many times in different practice settings. What about, we talked about maybe accreditation is kind of a stick. What about some carrots in our annual review processes or, or any examples of being asked about contributions to interprofessional or collaborative practice or are there any uh, nudges that might make people see this as, as valuable? You know, this question really made me think because our workload documentation is pretty standard. Like you go out and you teach interprofessionally, you get credit for teaching. You sit on an interprofessional planning committee, you get service. And I wonder if we should be valuing it differently. I know we get sensitive about weighting things and stuff, but interprofessional work is so critical and can be more complex and difficult than something that we just do on our own and control on our own. So I do wonder, it made me, made me think, should this be different? I agree. I think for both annual review and promotion and tenure, I think it's under-recognized right now. Like you said, you might get that checkbox for service or scholarly activity, but I think really the big push, at least on our end, is international recognition as opposed to interprofessional recognition. So I, I really think interprofessional recognition is not really on the radar right now. I, I love that idea. Instead of your peer reviewers coming from within your discipline and you have this international reputation, instead we said, well, you've got to have people within your discipline, but we want people to review your dossier who are external to your discipline and how have you influenced their practices 
or been a leader within their circles or all the other ways we could measure someone's reputation and influence and impact that is outside of your own discipline. I think that would be really be a game changer and change people's behavior in a significant way. I mean, it's such a little nudge, right? But assessment drives learning and we are just asking the question might change that mindset. I think it also helps to prevent what can happen is in a program, people are like, hey, Lindsay's our IPE person. Got IPE on it? Send it to Lindsay. That's box ticking, but not necessarily saying our program values this. We've talked about equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And I know when, when schools added a statement that you need to respond to in your promotion and tenure process, it really raised awareness of what people were doing and what they could do. Well, I'm, I'm curious, though, Jeff, you, you do work on a campus where there are obviously lots of health professions, but education is the glue for everyone that's on campus. And I don't know from a teaching and learning standpoint whether there's lots of programming that do bring together either preceptors or faculty from the various schools and how successful that is. And by the frown on your face, I suspect that's not as common as it should be. Yeah, I would say probably like most institutions that disciplines seem to stick with themselves by and large, whether it's faculty or students or whatever. And we gather together more often not when we're made to versus out of choice or out of necessity or out of this is the best thing to do. I think everyone gets in their own silo with your own set of rules and standards you have to meet and work obligations and bringing in someone else or reaching across the aisle seems like too big of a lift, even though the value might be much greater than than the effort. That's my perception. It's my perception at UK, and I would think it might apply elsewhere. And, you know, and the educational models that we've got have been built over centuries, right? They've evolved for different things. And if we were just to wipe it clean today and say, okay, now everything is completely new, you can design it how you want, it probably would look very little like the way we do it. Amen. <laughs> I'm curious what people have seen in terms of uh, interprofessional collaborations that are, are pretty unique. And one that I want to mention is uh, Luke Barenbrock at the University of Pittsburgh and an audiologist mm -hmm. uh, have been doing some collaborative stuff and partly because the hearing aids of now OTC mm -hmm. and, and they're offered through pharmacies. And so that became kind of a natural collaboration between them. But I'm, I'm curious if there have been other you know, unique collaborations between professionals that don't normally work together. We did a, a unique opportunity with dental and physical therapy, which are two providers who are very seldom in the same space together. But through our group, our campus group that Tina and I were on together, the dental students and the physical therapy students did two separate things. One was learning about temporal mandibular joint disorders, because they're, those are two groups that treat the same thing, treat them very differently. And you're talking about turf before, right? There's some, some feelings of turf with TMJ. And the other thing that we did was wheelchair transfer, right? Cause you've got patients in wheelchairs, no matter where you go, what, 
pro- uh, profession you're in or what setting you're in. But getting that person from a wheelchair into a dental chair is kind of a unique movement. So actually, the, the physical therapy students taught the dental students how to maneuver patients that used wheelchairs. So that was, a, that, that was one of the more unique, I think, collaborations that we did recently. Mm-hmm. We did a pharmacy activity at UCSF that was based on timing of medications with relation to physical therapy treatment. So, for example, if you have a patient with Parkinson's and they're taking L-DOPA, what time, based on when their dose is, do their appointments need to be? Or which therapies might cause dizziness? Which therapies might cause bleeding or fall risk or I will say also at UCSF, we we did not train social workers at UCSF, but we imported them into some of our activities. And having the social workers there was absolutely transformative for every other health profession who were often like, I had no idea. And, And so I think social work was definitely everyone's BFF. One other thing that I wanted to bring up and talk about is what kinds of topics or subject matter is really conducive to interprofessional education? And obviously, patient safety is one of those mm-hmm. because we all care about that. Errors is another one. Also, creating kind of a learning environment where we all have psychological safety. So I'm wondering if you do any specific readings or any specific books that you feel like are really influential that have really used in some of the instruction that you've done? Teaming is one that comes to my mind that Amy Edmondson wrote some years ago. And then she just came out with another book called The Right Kind of Wrong, The Science of Failing Well. Mm -hmm. The Science of Failing Well. And it's a terrific book. It just got released. But in it, she comes up with a whole bunch of things that I just thought would be great to have this language that would be a shared understanding between disciplines. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. And it really goes back to opportunistic collaboration, which could be, for example, Pharmacy at Colorado, the interprofessional course about ethics and health equity is the course that pharmacy students learn those concepts. But I think that idea of as these sort of new and emerging topics, cultural humility, failure, mm-hmm. we could do them separately, but why not at least talk, just put a hand up and go, hey, anybody else struggling with this? And I bet you're going to find at least one other profession on your campus or in your community where you can really build it that way from the very beginning. And I think that talking about things like failure, cultural humility, disability, et cetera, in that group it really bodes well for what it will be like to talk about these things in practice. And we've had some good workshops with resiliency and burnout because that affects all, all professions and, and members of it. That's been kind of a, a hot topic, not just at the school level, but also campus-wide. So I want to thank Lindsay for being here with us today to talk about interprofessional education. I think it's going to lend some new conversations about what cutting edge areas of practice that we can co-create together as different health professionals that could be initially offered as electives and then move their way into the required curriculum as it matures. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye and thank you, Lindsay, for being with us. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash pharmacyfika. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir.